Alex Shannon uh, for this uh, Tuesday. We uh, hope you're doing well. Some news yesterday uh, from uh, the National Hockey League and their broadcast deal, or their, uh, and they've been, uh, we should clarify, they've been negotiating with numerous parties for uh, mm-hmm. some period of time. They've done um, a big portion of their deal with Disney, but there were still, and I guess still are, pieces of the puzzle yet to reveal themselves. But shocking to me, uh, NBC is uh, not part of the negotiations any longer. What do you know? Well, uh, our friend John Orand, who we had on, what, two weeks ago, yeah. uh, to talk about this kind of stuff, uh, got the news that NBC was pulling out yesterday of uh, any further negotiations. I had been told last week that they had put their final bid in, uh, didn't want to be used as a, uh, as a, a, a ploy to get other people to bid. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, NBC's done a good job. So there will be no hockey on NBC as of uh, next September or October. Um, you know, but NBC is also uh, adding a ton more uh, money to their, in, their NFL deal, Bob. They've got two Olympics coming in the next two years that they're going to be very expensive. Uh, they, had to, they had to save some money somewhere and um, they were going, probably going to be asked to spend more than they did on the last hockey deal and only and get less than half of the hockey deal. So I think that uh, there's a combination of things and lack of interest in the game in the United States uh, uh, at, a, at an executive level. Uh, NBC has announced, uh, according to John Oran, that they're out. Well, it, it creates a hole, a programming hole for NBC, but it's not a gigantic hole. Well, let's but remember, it- let's remember that they're already shuttering NBC Sports Network. Well, that's what I was about to get to. Yeah. Um, is that that's where the majority of the games were being played, and that channel is changing or disappearing. No, it's it gone. Is. It's gone. Yeah. At the end of the calendar year, it disappears. So, who does that leave in the running here? Well, Chris Johnson on Hockey Night in Canada um, said Fox on Saturday. Um, I'm led to believe that uh, it's going to be Turner. That's going to be at the top of the list. Uh, and Turner, let's remember, Turner, there's, there's two aspects of this. Turner has done a marvelous job with the NBA. Um, their, their, their Thursday night doubleheader has been now become a cornerstone. Their 40 games and 40 nights has become a fact of life in the NBA playoffs. Um, they also are the producer for uh, NBA TV in Atlanta. Uh, because the NHL network needs a home too. So you wonder, and this is, this is nothing that I've been told, but you wonder if Turner takes over the NHL network, they find a, a cable package that works for them, and then they take some playoffs. The biggest issue, Bob, will be the Stanley Cup final, because the Stanley Cup final is always on over-the-air television. Right. Well, Turner, last I checked, is not over-the-air. Well, it is, and neither is... Uh, I don't. I don't think no. No games are going to be played on ABC, are they? Yes, the final is going to be on ABC. Oh well, okay. That, yes, for, but that's only th- that's only four of seven times. So the what is the NHL going to do? They're going to allow Turner if it is Turner, you know, because nothing's official yet. Uh, are they going to allow Turner to do the Stanley Cup final without having over the air and the reach of an over the air signal? Uh, or are they going to have to renegotiate and get it all on ABC? It's going to be, uh, it, this is, it's far from done. Uh, but uh, the news on Monday that NBC was out, uh, 
uh, is an interesting step in a direction that I think a lot of people are surprised about. So those of us uh, who are in Canada will know Turner principally for a couple of channels, um, CNN, of course, and then um, the Turner Movie Channel. Right. But where will these NHL games be shown? Well, again, if they get it, they have two channels that regularly do Major League Baseball and the NBA, TNT and TBS. They are, they are uh, a combination of big entertainment. They, they've, they've spent a lot of money. Uh, it's, owned by, listen, it's owned by Time Warner. Yeah. We're not talking about uh, Ted Turner's mom and pop show. No, I'm well aware of them. I've I've had dealings with them. I know how big a company it is. No, but I'm talking about everybody else needing. Well, I think everybody knows time knows the name Time Warner. Okay, so they're Warner Brothers and from Time Magazine. Yeah. The other interesting thing is, I think Jeffrey Zucker, who used to be at NBC and used to run CNN, still has a huge involvement in the sports group at TNT and TBS. So that's uh, that's another interesting dynamic in all of this uh it's going to be uh it's going to be fun before we uh, figure out what's going on completely in hockey and television i mean as a longtime executive in broadcasting uh can you would you put the nba and nhl on the same channel or does it make more sense to separate the two well um i've been wondering about this ever since the, the this news started to dribble out uh, I, I think you put one on one channel and one on the other because I do too. you're going, you're going to, you're going to have conflicts. Yes, you are. You're, you're going to have conflicts you're, and particularly conflicts in the playoffs, Bob, um, where, where let's face it, the NBA and Turner have done a marvelous job, a marvelous job at putting the NBA on a really special stage. When you consider Ernie Johnson, Kenny, Barkley and Shaq. Yeah. You know, and will if Turner gets it, yeah, because it's, I, I, it's not a done deal. Will they put try to put a similar style panel together to promote the game? Hey, you know, you know. By the way, you know who I'd put on the panel? Thank you. I I, I accept. I'd put Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley loves hockey, loves it. Well, but you can't. Barkley's not going to work um, nine days a week. Um, and he's a basketball guy, and that's everybody what, loves money. Well, and um, Sir Charles as much as anybody. But <laughs> I'd put Barkley on the panel. I'm serious. Well, that's maybe an not all, Maybe not every night, but I'd put Barkley on. Well, but what is intriguing about this is that here is a play-by-play property in the NBA that really has been fueled and promoted by a desk show. Yeah. Um, Generally speaking, the desk show is an addition to you, you go and buy the rights to the, the play-by-play and the desk show is kind of filler. And not to suggest that Hockey Night in Canada is that way or has always been that way, but the truth of the matter is in most sports, it, it works in reverse. Yeah. Uh, but the NBA, uh, what Turner has done with the NBA has, has that desk show is the show. Yeah. That is the point of attraction. And it makes one wonder if they will try and do the same thing with hockey. Well, I, I would presume I would. they will. Yeah, I would too. And here, here's the thing. Your, your supposition is correct. Uh, but I, got, uh, I, I learned at the foot of, I think, one of the greatest sports producers ever. And his name was Ralph Mellenby. Uh, and Ralph built and designed Hockey Night in Canada in the 70s and 80s um, to be 
better than the games the Maple Leafs played because the Maple Leafs were not very good after 1980. Uh, and so what, what happened was that's how our, our friend Cherry got invented. Uh, that's how we did a lot more features and, and programming in the second intermission because you needed to insulate from a bad game. And that's really what Turner's done, insulated well, I, from a bad game. And, and I, what, you do, what, you do, what you do too is games, sports are so regional. You know, It's Sacramento versus New Orleans. Well, who, who, in, who in Birmingham, Alabama, or who, who in Pittsburgh are going to watch that? You need to create content that they will be drawn to. And that's what the studio show has done. Yes, but the studio show for basketball is as much or more about the pre and post as it is the halftime show. Totally. And, and the point of difference is when Mellonby was looking at hockey, he did not institute a 30-minute or one-hour pregame show. Who, who did that? Well, who would that be, John? Hi, Bob. So uh, therein lies part of the difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is that you're gonna, you're, if you're going to create this show and you're going to do it with an eye to what Turner has done for the NBA – you're going to have a 30 or 60 minute pregame show before every game with a panel, just like the basketball panel and to talk about the whole league. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, the the other thing is, is that what, when you have Barkley and you have O'Neill on your panel, you have superstars guys that were superstar players. We have not done a good job of transforming game analysts, you know, studio guys that were stars in hockey into television. And that's well, an issue. That's an issue. I, I think it is. And you, you lead right to my next point. Who would you solicit to be on that panel? If it was, if you were given the job of producing that show, who you, who are you going to put on? And well, you, can first, steal, I, you can I, steal from Canada if you want. You can steal from Sportsnet or TSN if there's anybody there you want. No, thanks. No, thanks. All right. So who are you going to put on? Wayne. Is Wayne going to want to do it? Well, see, but that's, no, no, no. That's that's not what you asked me. Well, okay, I'm not disagreeing with you. If Wayne was given that platform, we're going to make you the same as Barkley. We're going to make you what Barkley is to basketball and hockey. Right. Wayne, buy in for us. Give us three years. Give it. I think Wayne might think of it. All right. I'm not saying you won't, John. Um, I mean, we try. I was at the league when the NBC tried with Brett Hull. And it was an unmitigated disaster because nobody could control Brett. Right. So you need to be able to, you, you, need, to be, you need to be able to create the perception of chaos by able, and still being able to control them. Well, the I mean, other Wayne, guy that- Wayne is one. Wayne would be, Wayne would be brilliant. He's one of the greatest hockey minds of our time. I'm not arguing that point. Uh, The other guy that would fit in that category would be Romanek. I don't agree. Meaning what? No, I don't. I'm not saying he would. I'm saying he he fits the same category as Brett Hull. Oh, I see. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 that's right. Well, and look what happened to him in the end. And now he's in the midst of a lawsuit with NBC. Well, so who's the other guy? I don't know. I got to think of it. Because this has all come down in the last 24 hours. i got to think some more. And by the way, maybe, uh, maybe they should call me for my ideas. Well, while, and while they're at it, well, I <laughs> hope they don't, because I know you'd never hire me. 
I tried to hire you, Bob. Oh, you never did. You never, you never, not once. We got to go. You never called go. me. You overlooked we go. me completely. Come as, on, we got a guest. We got a guest coming. This is a, this has always been a one-way street, John. Oh, yeah. And yeah, you're always one, going the wrong way. I got my sign. One way. My way. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, we've had our guest on. I don't know whether you were on with him before. Yes, but, I was. Because uh, we talked about when he bought that stupid football league. Uh well, we also talked to him after he bought the uh, he got the, the uh, majority interest in um, in Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, and um, so, but those are radio inter- or con- telephone interviews. Uh, this is the first time we're going to get a chance to uh, I will get a chance to see him. And uh, Tom Dunnan is not just the owner of the Carolina Hur- Hurricanes; he's got um, uh, many other interests, business interests, and one of them with my favorite sport. You're not getting think- free golf at Top Golf. I think a lot of people um, are not aware of his involvement in both Top Golf and now with Callaway, and so we're going to—I'm going to address those things when—and then you're going to interrupt me and, and and focus in on hockey. So that's that's how this conversation is going to go. Okay, Tom Dundon. When we come back after these messages, Bob McCown, John Shannon, back with you. Um, this is a uh, gentleman that we've uh, talked to a couple of times uh, back in the uh, days when we did radio and television, um, but we, uh, we did it always by phone. It's um, first opportunity to go face-to-face, so to speak, via Zoom. Uh, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, Tom Dundon, is with us. And Tom, thanks a lot for your time. We know it's, it's always busy. And, and my friend Shannon over there will yeah. be um, regaling you with hockey questions, left, right, and center. <laughs> but we'll, and we'll get to that. <laughs> but but I was um, uh, I've never had the opportunity to talk to you in the past about um, your involvement in well the golf business specifically in with Top Golf you were an early investor in that process and project I'm intrigued by what your experience was what attracted you to Top Golf well, good to be with you guys so you know I wish this story was had more. Um, something to make me seem more sophisticated or intelligent, but the, what actually happened was, was Topgolf had a location in Dallas when they had only three or four locations. They had taken over an old driving range and put up a facility that was not up to today's standards. And the food was, was like, you'd get at a ballpark, right? It was, and the service wasn't good. They did. They had like, you go get your balls out of the big machine. really no technology other than the ball had a chip in it and you track it and you could get a score but they hadn't they like say no tvs didn't have food service was bad company was undercapitalized but and i didn't even know anything about it but my kids went to a birthday party and there it was not very good and there were lines you have people waiting to get in and i i remember thinking why does everybody want to do this like the food's bad and all these other things that that were underwhelming and and then six months later, somebody came to me and said, they're out of money. Um, can you help? And I looked at the numbers and ah, I don't know. I don't like it. And then they came back to me six months later. Um, and my kids, I'd been trying to get them to play golf with me when they were younger. And they thought golf was boring and just weren't interested. So I thought, okay, maybe I go invest in this business that's tied to golf and we can improve some things and maybe it'll catch their interest because it's here in Dallas and so that's why I did it I did it mostly so my kids would like me for the most part 
So the, ev the evolution in that business has been extraordinary. And anybody who's been to a top golf facility knows it's not just a driving range with bad food. Right. Um, how no, it's got good food, Bob, it's got good food now. Come on. Now. That's what I, I said. Mean, except yeah. except for I, that, the cheese sauce and the nachos. So, I mean, okay. come on. <laughs> no, I'm just, I mean, yeah, that, everybody's got the same cheese sauce. Come on. Yeah. Well, we don't do the cheese sauce, but yeah. So when I, what I did was as part of my, investment i wanted it moved to dallas because the headquarters wasn't in dallas and um partner my name eric anderson who was who was heavily involved with the board then kind of shared a lot of the same things and we wanted make the food great make the experience great put in the technology so it just took capital you know capital probably they didn't either they didn't have or maybe they didn't have quite the vision of making it really nice maybe initially it was going to be a little less um, fancy for the, yep. I don't think it's fancy, but so yeah, we just, we put in the money to build out the technology and build out the experience. And then we had the capital to go grow it. And, you know, that's been seven, eight years now. It's been a while. So then I don't know how many people are aware of this, uh, last fall, there was a merger between, uh, top golf and Callaway, um, which seems like a rather logical progression but whose idea was that did they come to you did you go to them yeah so callaway has been our partner in top golf they actually had an investment in top golf that predated my investment and okay. um the ceo a guy named chip brewers um really well respected guy runs a great company they were on the we were on the board together for a long time um and after covid when no one would could go. No, most top golfs were shut down, and the golf business was doing great. And it just sort of seemed like the right idea to put it together. They knew the business well. They have this great golf business and brand that was generating cash flow even during COVID times. Right, people could still go play golf even when Top Golf wasn't open. So it just sort of made sense um, to put these things together. So that actually just closed maybe three months ago, where mm -hmm. the company was listed. Right. I think it's going fairly well so far. Now you're a director of, of Callaway, but not a director of Top Golf anymore. Is that was sort of a natural progression or what? Well, there's only one company now. So there's only one. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I I uh I'm not the greatest board member in the world. <laughs> well, do tell why why no, do you think that's the case. We're we're saving that for the hockey questions. <laughs> no. Um well it's not too different whether it's hockey or top golf, right? You've got to let you've management has to do their job right so you can have an opinion and you can have you can have your experiences and your conversations but ultimately the people who are there every day better know it better than me right like i, I i'd like to think i can help but um you know top golf's all over the world and there's all these locations and callaway has great management um if i can help too much something's wrong right so, <laughs> There is an obvious synergy between golf and hockey. I don't know how well aware of this you are. I assume you are, but most hockey players play golf and a whole lot of hockey players, good hockey players, NHL hockey players play very good golf. There are all kinds of single digit handicap uh, golfers who are professional hockey players. Is there any synergy with you in that? You know, um, it seems like a lot of the teams when they're on the road and they need something to do like top golf's one of the things that a lot of sports teams, especially like you said, the NHL have more, more people that either love golf 
or are pretty good at it and or are good at it. So, oh, yeah. yeah, it's been, matter of fact, when I first bought the team, the first time I went on the road, um, I wanted to see some different arenas and different how other people did it. And I went to Nashville and the team had a day off. So I took the team to Top Golf. It's the first time I kind of met everybody and just, you know, shake everybody's hand, introduce yourself, yeah. you know, tell them you're, tell them you're available if they need anything. So that was the first kind of thing I did with them all. And yeah, they, they, uh, it was, it turned quickly into, you know, gambling with each other and having fun. So it was good to see for sure. Before we, we before we dig deep into hockey, do you get people phoning you all the time asking for investor dollars? I mean, are you, you, you the thing is you, you've created such a profile, Tom, uh, that uh, whether fair or not, you're a bit of a, the, the perception is you're a little bit of a riverboat gambler and hey, come with me and let's make some money together. Do you get lots of calls? I get some calls. Yeah, yeah. I, I get some calls. I, I, uh, I tend to only do things with people I know and trust. So I'm not, I feel bad because, you know, you want to help everybody. I've, I've been very lucky in life. And, you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of the things that come across, you know, if someone's young and has nothing to lose, no family, and they want to try something. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you all are like me that, when you were 22, you sleep on the couch and if, you know, you go wait a table or bus or mow a lawn, you did what you had to do, but you didn't have anybody yep. else. You just had to take care of yourself. What's hard is when someone's got a job, has an idea and they have something to give up. Right. And that's tougher to tell somebody, I'm not sure your idea is good enough to give up safety. And, and so that's what I always struggle with is I love the idea of people going out, trying something and making money, but I hate the idea of, the reality is most things, it's a very low probability of having the kind of success people envision. So that's always my struggle is I want to encourage them, but I also know how much do you have to give up, right? If you're 22, you should do it. If you're 42, you might want to think about <laughs> your outcomes. So, so when your buddy Cuban's on Shark Tank, you kind of go, what are you doing, Mark? I, you know, I, I ask you about it all the time because the deals are, you know, for him, the paperwork is more than what he could actually make, right? He's obviously, but he, he, he loves that whole entrepreneurial help people, you know, so he's got a whole staff set up to help, help these folks. And he kind of sees it as, as the American dream and his way to sort of give back, you know, he doesn't really look at it as a moneymaker. Um, and I think he likes being on TV, which is not my, I don't you have think. Yeah, kind of likes it. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about hockey. Uh, ever since you've touched this team, um, you, you, all it does is seem to get better. It, it, what's the magic elixir? I mean, they had good players when I got here. Uh, right. and, and then, you know, I think the big thing was, is making Rod the coach, right? I think that it seemed a little risky at the time because he had never done it before. And he had been an assistant coach on a team that didn't have much success. And when I came in and thought about, you got to change the culture, you got to change, you got to, we have to restart. You know, I think um, the idea wasn't to take an assistant coach and promote him or whatever. And, you know, the more you're around him and the more you talk to people within the organization, you knew that maybe where they were as an organization didn't have anything to do with the fact that he had, had been there and, and, but that's probably the main thing. There were a couple of really good players, but there was 
a person here that just was really good at getting the most out of everyone and creating a culture. And it happened that he loves the hurricanes, right? Like that wasn't something a lot of people could say. And even when we were no good, he still loved it. And he thought about it the way it was when he played and they were good. Okay. Okay. So you've opened the, you've opened the box. Uh, you've mentioned it before I did. Uh, his contract's up. Are you concerned? Are you, no. is, is he going to be uh, the coach in October? Yeah, of course. I've never been concerned. Uh, um, I never really had a problem keeping good people, right? Like if I want to keep them, we keep them and we find a way and he's, he's the best. So there's, it's, it's not any, it's not close to the top of my uh, worries. So, so are there, there, the contract sitting in the drawer and you're just waiting for the day that uh, we're all, we, we, it's a quiet day and you can announce to everybody that Rod Brindamore is coming back. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's that, um, linear but <laughs> it's it's i have no interest in owning a team without him coaching it so he's gonna coach it the the, the you, you the other guy in your organization and and uh, that fascinates me and doesn't get very much credit outside of your organization is a guy named eric tolsky yeah um can you tell everybody what he does for your organization that makes him so special? You know, it's hockey's tough, right? Because the people that are, that have done it a long time, believe they can see it and they know who the good players are. And, but everybody in hockey, scout, GM, player, coach, they all have that similar skill set, right? They've played it, they've watched it. Hard to think. I remember when I got to Carolina and we had all the scouts, the scouts were in for their meeting and I went into the meeting and I was, in essence, I said, look, I, I'll stipulate that you all know hockey and that you're really good at this. But I also believe every other team has a group of people with similar backgrounds, similar experiences and similar insights into what makes a good hockey player. So we have to be honest about the fact that the Carolina Hurricanes might not have an advantage at a bunch of people that know hockey evaluating hockey players, right? Like if we're just being honest, what are the chances we happen to have the best scouts that give us a bigger advantage? Doesn't mean we don't have really good scouts who work really hard and add a lot of value, but how are we going to be better? And I think what we try to do is take what Tolsky could do, which is analyze things with no emotion, with no experience in terms of what we have found people that have grown up in hockey believe and sort of take that art and science and put it together, right? And make sure you challenge what people's eyes see. And then the hockey people are supposed to make sure that we don't just take what the analytics say. And finding that balance is all we try to do. And I think he gives us an advantage there because he's super smart. He actually knows hockey really well. Like he's not just a guy that doesn't watch it, love it, you know, he's passionate about it. Um, and we have this ability to have that constant struggle between what the coaches and scouts see and what the data says. And that matches up sometimes, right? Like you don't have to be very smart to know Ajo is pretty good, right? So we all agree on that. Tulski can't help us on Ajo, right? But there are always players that surprise us all both ways, better or worse than, than the market thought. And that's where you hopefully can gain some insight into 
take a closer look at these players. It looks like there may be something the market misses or take a closer look, the market overvalues these players. And, you know, finding that, finding a way to interact is, is I think what he, what he's supposed to help us do. Uh, Tom Dunson is with us, the majority owner of the Carolina Hurricanes. And um, I want to address the analytics portion of what you just said. We'll take a quick break and come back with more with Tom when we continue after these messages. Bob McCowan, John Shannon with you, and Tom Dundon is here, the owner of the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. You mentioned the word analytics, and I would I would say to you, you would probably understand you're a few years younger than John and I. Respectfully. Hold on, hold on. Come okay, on. you're more than a few years younger than John. <laughs> um, analytics for me, and maybe in part for John, is um, is something that has come along since we established our opinions on how things work. And we come from the era of the eye test, where you look at a player and you, you make a judgment on them. And, and that, that happened with scouts as much as anything else. You know, radar guns came in in baseball and, and for hockey was shooting and all kinds of other things. But you're kind of in the middle a little bit. Are you an analytics guy? Do you believe all of that, all the stuff you see? I said, I, I think you just have to have balance. I think if you ignore it, I'll beat you. And if you only use it, we'll beat you, right? So if you think analytics can build a hockey team, you're probably gonna have a really bad hockey team. But if you think that your eye test can beat somebody who will take the analytics and make it part of the evaluation, you're probably at a disadvantage. And I think most teams in all sports get that, right? That there's like I say, there's art and science. Um, the coaches inherently should think less about analytics because they're building a relationship. They're in there with their players. They've got a feel every day. And that can be good or bad, right? Maybe there's a player who does it all right, tries really hard, does everything great. They're going to give that person a little more leeway. And maybe they're right because that all those things affect the culture of the team. Maybe there's another player a little better who's not a great teammate or, you know, who knows? Mm. And the coach is going to not like that player as much, but they could be really good helping you win. So you just have to be able to have those debates. But I don't think it's a silver bullet. You're a sports fan, though, I gather, uh, uh, generically speaking. No sport has adapted or adopted analytics more or greater than baseball has. Do analytics, in your opinion, work better for a sport like baseball than they do for a sport like hockey? Yeah, absolutely, because the play stops, right? Every time the play stops. So you know exactly that the guy hitting in baseball, it, may, it doesn't mean no other player has any impact on that transaction, right? They are up there against the pitcher. You can isolate it. Hockey is not like that. So if someone gets to play with our best players more often, or someone doesn't get to play with the same players, it's clearly going to get some different outcomes. So it's very hard to isolate individual impact in hockey. Very difficult. Um, just to follow up on Bob's point about uh, you being a sports fan, what do you know about hockey now that you didn't know when you bought the team? Uh, maybe there's just a little more drama, you know, like, I'm not playing with the right person or, you know, coach doesn't like me, you know, I should be in the, you know, like 
I was used to that with my kids' sports, right? Whereas like my kids not playing what's going on. I didn't realize, I never really thought about the fact that, you know, these are human beings. And if they, they're not on the power play, maybe dad's calling or their wife's asking or their agent's mad. And, and you know, trying what we've tried to do in Carolina is it's just about the culture. It's, it's about the team. It's about the culture. And, and I think I always believe that in business, but I realize maybe in hockey, it's more important than anywhere else I've ever seen because they're together all the time. And it's not fair. Someone gets to be PP one and someone gets to be PP two and someone doesn't get to be on it at all. And whoever's not on it thinks they should be because they have been their whole life. Actually, you've tweaked me to something because I I get a sense that you really know your players. You know the guys on that roster and you talk to the guys in the roster. Um, Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because, I mean, if I'm the coach or I'm the manager or I'm Eric Tolsky, but, you know, Sebastian Ajo can talk to the owner. Boy, oh boy, that's, that's a hierarchy that can be difficult at times. Yeah, and, and I think it would be more difficult if he could talk to me and have me talk to Rod on his behalf, which I would never do. Right. I want the players to know that we care about them, that we're going to be up front with them, and we're never going to let anybody mistreat them. We're going to give them great medical, great strength conditioning. They're going to know their expectations. We're going to have a competitive team. Like These are the things I can help them with, but... I've never got involved with who plays or who they play with or any of that kind of stuff because that would ruin everything, right? Um, and so Rod's not insecure. Don Waddell's not insecure. So if a, if a player, if I talk to a player, I think they're pretty aware that I'm not talking to him about, well, my coach is no good. Why is he treating me bad? Like that would be, if a player tried to talk to me about that, I think they're crazy. Um, and I'd be crazy to do it. It would ruin your culture and you you read about this stuff happening it's kind of silly that 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 would be something that I would think would be a good idea so what I want with the players I want them to love it here I want them to want to play here I want them to know that if they're here and they do the right thing we're going to take care of them and we're going to want to keep them here and we're going to win yeah um, were you convinced Raleigh was a good hockey market and are you still convinced of that I wasn't honestly, when I bought the team, I wasn't sure because when you went to a game, there was nobody there. Um, and I was told stories about what it would be like if we were good. Um, and then I found out it was true, right? Really quickly. Cause that first year, um, it went really well. Now I wanted, as we were getting better, I knew we were pretty good. I wanted people to come sooner, but once they do come, they come and it's, it's pretty enthusiastic and it's, it's a great experience. And so now, um, now that's not even the conversation anymore. Yeah. It's not about, it's not about Raleigh. It's just about how do we win? Right. In the beginning it was, even if we do good, will fans come now? I know they come. Um, I think the pressure, just like everybody, if you don't win, you get less fans. I think, I think our fan base may be a little more elastic, meaning, they may not be true hockey fans, but their hands, their fan, their fans of winning, their fans of entertainment, the experience, the personalities. So we just have to maybe do a little better job than in a core market to to make sure our fans are entertained. But when you entertain them, they come. I got I got to tell you, Tom. I was uh, I was working for the league in two thousand and six uh, when your team won the Stanley Cup, 
Uh, I have never seen a fan base as electric as that building. Uh, and you combined it with the magic of tailgating. Yeah. Uh, and they, it was, it's not a big city, but I'll tell you what I became, I, I have friends that work in your organization. Now you tell them all the time, I'm a closet caniac That's and awesome. I'm a closet caniac because of that fan base and what they, they love their hockey club, but it's all about winning. And yes. it's, fa it's a fascinating market analysis. Absolutely. And it's, it's, like I say, I don't think people think about hockey if you're not winning, but once you win, they just have a lot of fun with it. And I don't know, and this is one of the advantages for most of our players. No one knows if they have a bad game. Like that's not what they're judging on. It's did we have fun? Are we entertained? And right. I've been, since I got here, we're in the entertainment business, right? Now, good players are more entertaining and winning is more entertaining, but we're in the entertainment business. And our fans continually remind you of that because they come out to have fun. Like they come out to be entertained. We don't have to, not that it's a bad thing because if, if maybe if your fans were more into the technical side of hockey, they would stay with you when you're not sure. winning or not entertaining, but that's not the situation we're in. So we have to win. I, I kind of like it. <laughs> um, in Chicago, they used to say many years ago, they used to say there were 20,000 people in the building, but there were probably only 40,000 other hockey fans in the, in the city of Chicago. Um, I wonder if, if there was a parallel when you took over the franchise in Raleigh, and whether part of your agenda has been to grow that base as widely as you possibly can. Yeah, that's exactly it is. Even when I first got here, there was still a core amount of people that love the team. And if you don't make the playoffs eight, nine, 10 years, <laughs> that dwindles, right? Of um, course. And that's rational. And especially if you're in a market where people didn't grow up with hockey, right? For the most part. And so, yeah, that was the whole point is, we weren't going to create a bunch of hardcore hockey fans. Like people don't do that later in life, but you could create fans of the hurricanes, fans of the players, fans of the entertainment value. And that's, I think that's what the organization has done a good job of because I don't think a ton of our fans are watching our rivals play, you know, or keeping up with what everybody else does like they might in other markets. So you just, that wasn't a battle worth fighting to try to make people hockey fans all the time we had to make them hurricanes fans and that's what we're still trying to do and yet i mean listen you the next step for you was to get an outdoor game and the league gave you an outdoor game and you got robbed of it because of covid uh so i assume that you're going to get one so that leads me to the next question do you in october or november whenever the season starts do you expect to be 60 percent full 100 percent full do you have any idea i don't know i mean i it changes so fast. I think North Carolina is pushing towards trying to get back to normal. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's some number greater than 50 and whether it's a hundred, I just, I have no way. I mean, I know no more than anybody else because it changes so quickly, but I'm one optimistic the, that it'll be pretty good next year. Right. Sorry. Uh, one of the, one of the keys in building in a, in a city like, you have been for the last four years is almost invariably you want to see there be more places to go play hockey. Then you want to see more rinks. Are you actively involved in that process in Raleigh? Yeah, there was a, we, we put our, we just built a new practice facility adjacent or connected to a two rink, which is kind of the big, the big uh, um, ice rinks now in, in Raleigh. I don't, 
I'm not sure. It's actually something we've talked a little about how many more ice rinks, if that's, if that actually helps or not, but it's something we've talked about, but we moved our practice facility into the brand new two rink complex. And so we're sort of connected in that way with youth hockey and youth hockey is for the most part in Raleigh, it's the junior canes and we're, we, we're involved, we're involved, but you know, I'm not sure it's going to be, I still think it's about winning you know, great coach, great players that are available and accessible in the market, um, you know, making the arena experience and the TV experience and the social media experience. I think all those things are going to have a more of an impact than having a few more rinks. Um, but if there's more people that want to play, we'll build, you know, building a rink's easy, right? Like if we well, have sure. no rinks available, we'd go build a rink for sure. Actually, you, you touched on your social media experience. Uh, you might have one of the most creative social media departments in the league. Is that, is that, does that have your fingerprints all over it? I don't know. I mean, look, I'm always pushing on them to be interesting, right? And you have to be careful because I want to be interesting without being insulting. Right. Right. And that's hard sometimes. And so, yeah, I don't, they're super talented. They do a really good job. I, I, I am not the one coming up with the one liners or any of those kind of things. Um, uh, I've had one or two things that they put out there on my behalf, and I'll never say what they were, <laughs> but for the most part, uh, for the most part, it's Don and I, all we can do is keep reminding them. We got to be interesting. We got to be relevant. We got to entertain our fans. We have this great brand. We have these good characters, these entertainers, these hockey players and make sure people see their personalities. And that's how they'll get closer to the team. Um, but storm, Sur storm Surge was your idea, though, right? No, it was Justin Williams. Uh, I, I, uh, I asked him the same thing. I said, help me. You know, we need to be more interesting. How can we be more relevant? How can we entertain fans that maybe don't know hockey as, as a group to the same level they do in other markets? So what do they know? They know how to have fun, as you mentioned earlier. And so I, I was at the first game a couple of years ago. And, and I was walking downstairs at the end of the game and the storm surge happened and I had no, I didn't know what was going on. So uh -huh. I, found I got downstairs. Huh. I was well, appreciative of it. It was good. Boy, they've, you, it, it, what a signature now. I mean, now if you don't do it, it's it, people will be disappointed. I'm disappointed if we don't do it. <laughs> uh, we have uh, we have run out of time. Um, uh, we thank you um, uh, again for the opportunity to uh, spend some time with you and uh, learn a little bit more. And um, we we could do this for a lot longer. And hopefully, we'll have the opportunity somewhere down the road. Uh, we wish your hockey team success, continued success. Success? Are you kidding me? Well, they're, they're better than the Stanley Cup champions right now. Well, uh, we'll see what happens in, in the next couple of months. But um, there'll be a lot of people rooting for you. I can tell you that. Thank you for your time. Yeah, you're most generous with it. We appreciate it. See you guys again. Have a good show. I hope so. Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes. We'll come back and wrap it up after these messages. This week on the sign-off, Brian Aaronworth tells the story of how he unknowingly outbid Wayne Gretzky in the fight to represent Sidney Crosby. There was a fellow in that meeting. His name was Pat Brisson. He says, Brian, he says, uh, I have a hockey player that I'd like you to consider. And he said the name, Sidney Crosby. Hmm. I remember leaving the meeting thinking, I better do some homework on this Sidney Crosby. <laughs>
And uh, Pat said that there were other people looking to get Sydney uh, under their umbrella. Okay. It's the same year, 2003. I'm having breakfast with Mike. All of a sudden, um, Mike gets a tap on the shoulder, and I look up, and it's Wayne. You guys mind if I have breakfast with you? Yeah, sorry, this seat's taken, sir. How dare you? <laughs> At the breakfast table, Sydney's name came up. Wayne said something like, oh yeah, did we get that deal, Mike? Oh my God. So it turns out that the people that we were bidding against were your partners, WG Authentic and Wayne Gretzky. Because I didn't know that at the time. The sign-off is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I know people expect you to say this, and, um, and, and every once in a while I do, but uh, he's one of my favorite guys to talk to. And it's only like the third time I think we've that we've interviewed him, Tom Dundon. Um, but he's an interesting guy, and um, and and about as open and honest as an owner can be, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I, I think I I do think he's learned a lot about the game of hockey from the the day he he bought, you know, uh, whatever percentage he owns now of, 52, of the I hockey think. club. Yeah, um, and I I mean I think the fact that um, he told you that he wasn't really convinced it was a good hockey market or a good sports market tells you that, you know, there was a chance at one point he may move it, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's relevant anymore. I think he loves it. I think he loves what the, the, the franchise has done there. Um, and, but he's, I'll tell you what, he'd be tough to work for. Uh, I've worked for, I've worked for enough um, entrepreneurs to know that they're very demanding. And you can see it between the lines, Bob, of how demanding a guy like Tom Dundon would be. He would be, he, he, he knows his stuff. He asks, he always asks good questions. He, and, and he always pushes people. And that's uh, something you can, you can admire in an owner. And, but there are some people that wouldn't necessarily like it. Uh, when we talk to our friends in Vegas, um, they readily uh, admit that building ice rinks, growing the game through participation of young people is an integral part of the process long-term. Mm -hmm. Tom seems not as convinced of that. Do you think it's simply because the influence of basketball and football, that's big basketball and football country, is makes it really hard? Well, when you think of NC State, Duke, and North Carolina, all within 12 miles. Yeah. Um, and, and the basketball season is, I mean, that's that's the ultimate in, in that area. And, and listen, the rink thing in Vegas has worked. The rink thing in Dallas has worked spectacularly. Yeah, which he should be aware of. He lives there. Well, and I and, and perhaps this is just phase one, and maybe maybe, maybe. When, when he realizes that okay, we're here to stay, and we're not moving this club, and uh, there can be an investment. But uh, right now, I think that uh, you know he knows he has to win to keep people coming to the game, and that's that's the bottom line. Yeah, well, so far so good this year, and the unfortunate part is nobody's been. So um, not much. And we know who's going to coach next year, right? We know who's going to coach next year. Well, unless the guy who we think is going to be the coach doesn't want to be the coach, and there's no indication wow. that he thinks that. So he wants to be the coach. Right. He's loved living in the North Carolina, the what the, the triangle for a long time. Uh, our thanks to Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, for joining us on uh, this edition of the program. We hope you enjoyed it, and uh, you'll come hey, back tomorrow. Tomorrow, Greg Cosell, we're going to do the draft, NFL draft, pre-scout. Howard Cosell's nephew. That's tomorrow. We'll see you then. Goodbye, everybody. Mm -hmm.